hard because this is good. This is good humanizing content. Humanizing content. This is good behind the scenes stuff. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, it makes we us feel it. relatable. Oh god. It's okay. No Welcome everybody. You. Welcome everybody. Welcome everybody. To blissfully aware. We're back. Welcome everybody. <laughs> Welcome everybody. Did you miss us? I appreciated everybody's support of the show. Uh, the show where three opinionated people discuss what's going on with fandom and nerd news in general as she hoarded it in. Good uh, one. Yeah, no, it was good, very good. natural. Yeah, there we go. Um, so yeah, fandom sure has been popping off while we were gone. Mm-hmm. It's perpetually ratcheting up in extremeness. Like all things on social media, mm-hmm. it only leads you down a pathway of more and more intense content until eventually you either storm the Capitol or something more violent, <laughs> God. Uh, which probably wouldn't fly well on YouTube. So, yeah, um, and this process is being repeated in fandom, uh, pressurized by the fact that we're all stuck inside going on a third year. Has it been that long? It's, we are now in March, we will be at year two of lockdown for Canada. I don't know about y'all. We had our first cases in late January, early February, and we were locked down by the third week of March. So we will be into the third year, like two years plus some. Speaking of two years... If this episode sounds different, it's because I'm in Canada! Yeah! Yay! We are all in one room, recording our, our Hangout podcast, maybe for a few episodes, mm-hmm. but that is nice, because we were able to get vaccinated and quarantined, and the border was open, and we're hanging out, like the good old days! Which is also why we've been... We have been postponing yeah. this podcast for a while. <laughs> Which is why, why hang out inside like losers when we could hang in, inside like losers and not talk to each other. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, let's get into it. Let's talk about fandom. Um, I realized I never introduced myself. I am Bliss, and I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. That's us. Hello. And uh, let's just start with... What happened to friend of the pod, Luna Soul? <laughs> yeah, she received, like, a bomb threat because her physical address has been doxxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually people were sending, like, sending her pizzas, which is a very old school, like, 4chan way of trolling someone. Uh-huh. Like, sending a bunch of pizzas to their address. Uh, it predates 4chan, but that's where it, like got popular on the internet. Yeah, I had a stalker send me pizzas. <laughs> He's in jail now. And then someone was like, well, I'm gonna send her a bomb. Because things <laughs> only escalate on social media. You have to get more and more intense for your content to be viewed. And that's just fucking sad. That a human being's physical safety is in danger because she draws porn of not even brothers like no two people who are who are friends who are friends <laughs> <laughs> who are close friends having sex from some video game that its name already escapes me Genshin Impact 
And that's the one. I get why aunties and trolls have attached themselves to Luna Soul as a source of fodder, I guess. Because, like, yeah, it's like an old-fashioned, like, 4chan lolcow where someone mockable is discovered and then the, the horde goes and mocks them. And then when they are mocked, they react hurt or outlandishly or in their own defense. And that generates more mockable material. And then it just runs away like a perpetual motion machine. So now most people don't mock Luna Soul because of some odd transgression about doing fan art of two video game characters. They, like, mock her because there's so much content about mocking her. Like, she does not always have the best reactions to this sort of harassment. Which I don't think is something that we should require of people, obviously, uh-uh. in order to be to be sympathetic toward them. I don't think it's should be normal or expected to have, like, a perfect PR campaign reaction to this sort of sustained, long-lasting, gang-stalking behavior. The value is in seeing her freak out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... <sighs> It's bizarre because it feels like a mini fandom in itself now. Oh, totally. Because it's not like she's even drawing Genshin Impact art anymore. It, I don't even know what she draws, but it's like, it's a hate fandom. Yeah. It's uh-huh. it's like people are so obsessed with her to mock her, but are still cataloging her every move and wa- looking at all her art and cataloging all her art yeah. and like engaging with her accounts in a new like social media speak like she is they drive engagement well and it's interesting because i mean while we've been on hiatus i've been putting out some tiktoks for the show because content <sighs> uh-huh. but one of the most common insults big air quotes insults um we receive is Oh, you must be Luna Soul's twin. Like, <laughs> oh, I've been wounded. Like, it's such a fucking middle school burn, which is very revealing of the sorts of people who are obsessed with her in a negative capacity because her own reaction to her own harassment they find ceaselessly entertaining uh-huh. in a really sick, demented way. But yeah. it has ceased to be about, like, Oh, she drew fan art of two boys fucking. It's now she herself is the source of entertainment, is the source of outrage Mm. and the source of mockery. I've never really understood the concept of a lol cow because to me, it's kind of like when people would obsessively bully me and I would just be like, I don't know, this feels kind of like you want to be my friend because you don't ever want to leave me alone. You're just constantly in my business. Like, do you want to kiss me? Like what, what's happening here? And it just is kind of sad and weird. And I've never understood it. I've always thought it was a little pathetic. It's people did it to Chris Chan. People do it like, Oh, people are, Definitely. Still Still doing it to Christian. I know. And I, but like, even back when Christian first started being a lol cow, I was like, man, leave this kid alone. Something's gonna go really wrong. And then, you know, guess who was right? Like, well, actually, um, 
it is like definitely an obsession mm. like on the part of the harassers and there is there's a really good uh video that contrapoints did on the topic of cringe uh-huh. in general and what cringe and embarrassment and shame and all of these things how they operate specifically like in social groups on the internet and she talks about uh, a few locales. God, that's hard to say. Locales, specifically Chris Chan, like as a case study. But basically, what ContraPoint's like ultimate thesis boils down to is that we are shamed by distasteful elements that we recognize in ourselves uh-huh. in other people uh-huh. because we think that this other person the person we are we cringe at is making some group we belong to look bad uh-huh. so if we ostracize them then we kind of draw a border around ourselves and are like see i'm one of the good ones uh-huh. i'm not like that so in the way that like some gays can be self-hating or some girls can be like i'm not like other girls like uh-huh. we we cringe at the elements we recognize in ourselves and are disgusted by, and think, well, if I can ostracize another person for those elements, no one will suspect that of me. Mm-hmm. It's and time to embrace cringe. That's guys. basically what anti-ism <sighs> is, because it it goes back to like witch hunt mentality, mm-hmm. and it's like if I point at someone else and say she's a witch, no one's gonna accuse me of being a witch because I'm pointing out other witches, and why would a witch do that? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Checkmate atheists. (laughs) So if I am ostracizing someone for whatever behavior, like, I don't know, whatever. Nerdiness. Nerdiness, cringiness, you know, being, being too emotional, being too much a fan of Homestuck or whatever, that will exonerate me of any, any of that behavior in myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Goes ContraPoints theory, which is why, like, anyone can look at the story of Chris Chan and be like, wow, what the fuck? Uh-huh. That's a train wreck. Yeah. But there are a group of people who have been following Chris Chan for a decade now, maybe yeah. longer, like a longer. Yeah, definitely. And longer. like, are so themselves woven into the fabric of this person's life and the the things like it's downfall it's downfall <gasps> like i don't know if there was ever a place to fall down from no. but so like they have inserted themselves into this person's life they call her they call her family they stalk her they take photos they have gone on fake dates they have uh worse let's say (laughs) and basically those people who are for whatever reason so fascinated by this this character of christina chandler that they feel compelled to mock it analyze it deride it interact with it and ultimately want it to be like i don't know destroyed or villainized or something but for some reason they are unable to unfocus from this one very strange person's life which let me tell you is cringy 
Yeah. <laughs> That's way cringier than anything I could do is somebody being obsessed with how I'm doing it. <laughs> you, you feel me? Like, I, it's just it, weird. I don't, obviously, I don't think Luna Soul is anywhere near, like, her hate fandom is not no. anywhere near the level of Chris Chan's hate fandom. Well, she's also nowhere near Chris Chan, so. Chris Chan loves, no, God, uh, of course not. Not even close. No. But, um, it does feel like a very similar phenomenon where people are very obsessed with her, but the, like, the result is the same, mm. that you still spend hours thinking about her, worrying about what she's doing, going through her tweets, sharing tweets with others, sharing the art with your little, like, hate group on Discord or whatever. Making fan art of her. Making fan art yeah. of her. Yeah! Like, that's crazy, right? That's weird behavior. I You're got my weird. first hate fan art of I me. Saw yes! You were so cute! That's so weird, man! That, like... <laughs> See, like, the part about fandom for me that I enjoy and still still enjoy into my adulthood is that I like the sensation, the experience of being so moved by something, like music, a book, TV show, whatever, being so moved by it that I feel compelled to create more about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it is, you know, analyzing it, just, you know over coffee with my friends, or if it's talking with people about it in a chat room, on Discord, doing fan art, writing fan fiction, something about this this narrative, this story, whatever, has enthralled me so that I want to create more about it. I feel compelled to, to discuss and analyze and share, and only ever in a way that, like, presupposes that I have, in fact, enjoyed this thing Mm -hmm. that I am so moved by. Mm -hmm. I guess, (laughs) as evidence shows us, you can be so moved by something in a negative way as to be compelled to creation by it. You don't, though. Have you noticed that? That's bonkers to me. I have never once felt that. I have never once felt so moved to create over something I disliked. That, like, the fact that you dislike someone so much that you're gonna take an hour or two out of your day and put together a weird little fan art and a weird little... 15 minutes. A weird little TikTok (laughs) and write a weird little bio description to that TikTok and upload it to your TikTok. That's psycho behavior, Robin. We should not be doing that. That's that's crazy. (laughs) I will say... That I hated the ending of Game of Thrones so much that I've fixed it several times in <laughs> fan fiction. And ta-da. <laughs> but that I still, I liked the source material, you see. Because if I hadn't liked the source in order to hate what happened to it, I would have just been like, that was a dumb movie. Or that was a dumb show. And moved on with my life. I honestly think... That the aunties are just jealous of Luna Soul because Luna Soul is able to make money and profit. Off their rage. Yeah. <laughs> well, I no, mean, not even off their rage. Just off of her own art and her own work. She has, she's happy and has like a life and. She's talented. Talented. Mm-hmm. And it just comes off as jealousy to me. It all comes off as jealousy. That's why my bullies never affected me. Because it just seemed like they were jealous that I didn't care. And it's just how it feels on the outside looking in all the time. It just seems like 
you're all so, so aggravated that somebody is better at being happy than you are that you can't, you can't get over it. I do think there is something to that. I think that is the difference between, like, a lol cow sticking and eventually just fizzling out, is that the aunties, or whoever, the trolls, they care very deeply. Mm-hmm. And when they attack someone and that person doesn't care to the same degree that they do, it fizzles out. But when the attacked person reacts so, you know, vitriolically or, you know, defensively, they found someone who cares as much as them, mm-hmm. you know? And then the the cycle can continue. Like, yeah. they can just keep feeding into one another. And they are mad that no one else cares as much as them. Uh-huh. And now that they've found someone on the opposing team who does care as much, they can have a fight. Which is all they really want. Well, I mean, fucking speaking of people caring way too much, do we want to talk about the elephant in the room? The other big... Oh, um, yeah, Lindsay Ellis quit Twitter and YouTube, and, like, good for her. Fine. On- honestly, like, in case it's not clear, as I said in our episode covering this blow-up, I don't think Lindsay deserved this. I feel bad for her. Uh-huh. I think that this reaction was hugely disproportionate to the initial issue, which is not to say... I don't think that what she said when, basically, if you didn't hear, but (laughs) she compared Raya to Avatar in a few tweets, went to bed, and a few people, um, who Lindsay claims were white, but some were in fact Southeast Asian people, Uh uh, thought that the take was a teensy bit biased, bordering on racist, because... It seemed to them like she had just compared two things that were vaguely Asian together, and that was it. And that was not Lindsay's original point, but, you know, by that point it didn't matter because it had spiraled into a Twitter storm of Lindsay Ellis is cancelled for a racist Disney movie take. And, again, like, there is no... It's unreasonable to expect people to have a perfect reaction to... Twitter shouting at them for days and days that you're a racist bigot <laughs> over uh-huh. and over. And basically, uh, yeah, her, her reaction to that was, was worse than her initial tweets because she just kept doubling down and being like, well, I don't need to apologize for anything. And I think this is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, don't tweet through it. And Never tweet through it. What the irony to me was that this was bad, and this should not have happened to Lindsay Ellis, is, is something I want to be utterly clear about. But not even ten days prior, she and another popular YouTuber had, pr- had tacitly engaged in some similar harassment behavior uh, to a very small queer-owned business with, like, less than a thousand followers on Twitter. Mm. At the time. At, At the, the time. time. Yeah, they're a little more popular now, but yeah. Thanks and then engagement. <laughs> when people were, like, like trying to approach Lindsay Ellis and this other YouTuber on Twitter uh, and being like, hey, like, I maybe don't think you realize, like, the elements of fandom you're inviting to harass these people, they were just like, fandom drama's lame and for children, and then just, you know, bounced out without... Mm. 
Until someone turned around and made a monetized <laughs> video about somebody. it. Somebody. <laughs> Cause yeah, it is easy to be like, fandom drama is stupid. And I agree. It's very stupid. I would like for people's livelihoods to not be threatened by fandom drama. But that's not the world we live in on Twitter. And it would be so much easier for me to feel bad, like, totally for Lindsay Ellis, had she not done something so similar just ten days prior. Uh. But anyway, that's what happened. And then, like, it's been, like, half a year, a year almost, since, like, the initial Raya tweets. What I think it's funny, most funny, is that the two people who thought that laughing off fandom drama was the easiest are the two people who made money off of fandom drama. And were most triggered by it. Like, what happened to LOL Touchgrass? So, in the intervening six months, Lindsay made a video about her cancelling, the other YouTuber made a video about it, and all was quiet for a little while, and then... Lindsay Ellis put a post up on her Patreon, I think, and was like, I'm quitting Twitter, I'm quitting YouTube. So Lindsay put a post up on her Twitter and Patreon. It was on Twitter for just a minute (laughs) until it started getting popular, and then it was locked behind a Patreon paywall, in which Lindsay goes on a rant. And before I get into explaining what her Her main issues are... I want to be clear, I am much less sympathetic to Lindsay Ellis than uh, my other two co-hosts than are. Me. <laughs> I'm not all that sympathetic. I well, I, I'm I just am, the I least am. sympathetic in this room. <laughs> I don't think this should hap- have happened to oh, her. Absolutely. And it would be... It's s- almost like we told her. It. It's almost like we <laughs> warned her. <laughs> not me specifically, because I have never tweeted at or to either of these people. But it's almost like we fucking told you so. (laughs) And then look what happened, man. Like this, this element of like the mob coming and shutting you down is an issue. And if it can affect, you know, big name people on Twitter, like, I don't know, for, for a lot of both her cancellation video and her like, goodbye, I'm leaving forever letter. Lindsay is like, I am not a well-known person. And, like, fine. She really likes to downplay her own relevance. Uh, Lindsay Ellis is not a household name, obviously. It's not like we're talking about Tom Cruise or Oprah Winfrey. But she is a New York Times bestselling author. She has over a million YouTube subscribers. She makes videos that regularly get over a million views. She is a well-known internet criticism person. Mm -hmm. Like... That is fair to say. She has an influence that vastly outweighs mine, vastly outweighs the tiny little queer shop that she dunked on. Um, Still. Still. Oh, by, like, orders of magnitude. Uh uh And if this, like, mob harassment can so ruin her life that she feels she has to quit her main line of work... Like, as far as I'm aware, her Patreon and her uh, essay videos were her main source of income, question mark? I mean, she makes money from her books. Well, yeah, like I said, New York Times bestselling author. But apparently her, like, little YouTube production company, like, employs a few people. And, like, 
they are no longer getting employed or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Which she tries, again, to, like, lay that at the feet of the cancellation mob, being mm-hmm. like, it's not my decision to stop employing these people. The mob forced me to. Which, like, is fine. Like... If you think you can't do this anymore for your own mental health, I'm not saying that you should force yourself to continue in order to pay someone a salary. Mm. But no one no one forced you to stop making videos. All I'm saying is that if this method of social control, if this form of mob harassment, this gang harassment can compel someone to end their career voluntarily, giant air quotes, then I can't imagine the ramifications for someone with a following the size of Lunasol or Ravenstag or others. Oh, for sure. Well, so on December 28th, Lindsay posted her goodbye letter. And it starts out, I'm not going to read the whole thing. The screen caps are out there for everyone to find. Uh, You can pay if you want to read it on her Patreon. Uh, I I wouldn't, but that's just me. Uh, I, I will quote just a couple key lines. She starts by saying, This was going to be a YouTube video, but I just don't have it in me to invite that kind of scrutiny. To be the last in the sick, sad line of YouTubers to get all weepy on camera and cry about how they just can't do this anymore. Boo-hoo-hoo. And then proceeds to write this essay boohooing so she basically compares herself to britney spears in mob mentality cancellation and the trauma she has she also says people you know treat her like a wealthy white woman which i'm sorry Lindsay, but your net worth is almost two million i believe um you're not hurting no i mean like no (laughs) Not a 1% wealthy, but no, still still in a comfortable middle class. She goes on to make some really, really ham-fisted references to Isabel Fall. Yeah, I did yeah. not care for that. That was uncomfortable. She, um, she, she gets real, real metaphorical for a while. And then she ends with this. Quote. But all I know now is that being in the public eye at all is a losing game, and I regret all of it. I regret every time I ever stood up for anyone. It always backfires. I regret every time I pushed back against something unjust. It was always just used to hurt me. I regret every time I ever stood up for myself. I never did it, quote, correctly. I regret every time I showed any vulnerability. Just more ammunition to be used against me later. I regret every time I ever tried to play the game with peers and colleagues. They will drop you the second you aren't popular on Twitter anymore. And that's some bullshit, Lindsay. I'm sorry. That's that's a gross thing to say. You regret <laughs> helping people? It's victim blaming. <laughs> you were you were so and I I get you were traumatized, Lindsay. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, friend of the show, regular listener. <laughs> I, I know you were traumatized, and I know being mobbed must be horrible. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. Don't tweet through it is number one advice, which won't be a problem because you're not on Twitter anymore. Uh, good for you. You are allowed to make that choice. 
don't blame people you helped for what happened to you. You typed out a tweet. You hit send. You responded to people who were upset with you. You made a video about it. It was very weepy, by the way. (laughs) (sighs) You then responded to people who were upset with that video. You cannot blame other people for your own actions. And yes, again, being mobbed must be terribly traumatizing. And I'm sorry for that. I am. But fucking saying you regret helping people... Because it's just used against you. Because people were mean to you afterward. Lindsay, that's supervillain shit. It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I'm it's trying, ugly. I am trying not to, I don't think her very dramatic goodbye letter was, uh, was the best look, for instance. But no. overall, I get that she's very emotional. She is very, uh, yeah, traumatized by what happened. A lot of people... I've noticed, expect harassment and indeed, like, experience long-term harassment from just typical trolls, like Kiwi Farms type shit, where they mm-hmm. just have a thread of all of your your life story, all of your weird uh, accounts that you've ever had. And I think the thing that is now stunning people, and it's starting to happen to, you know, quote-unquote, big-name people for the first time because the ideology has become that pervasive, is seeing this behavior come from supposed comrades and allies. Whether that's in feminist groups, in queer groups, in niche weird little fandom groups, from people who you consider to be your friends and allies. Now also are using this social control rhetoric trolling behavior to turn on you when it's decided you today are the scapegoat. You today are the main character of Twitter. And it's something I wanted to mention. The title of her letter or Patreon post or whatever references a Ursula K. Le Guin story, The Ones Who Walked Away from Omelas. Mm-hmm. Um... Um, it's very short, actually. Uh-huh. And it's it's really just, like, it's a theme. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's about themes. Tonight's theme is themes. Yeah, tonight's theme is themes. And there is a city called Omelas, and basically it's a perfect utopia. Nothing bad happens there. There aren't any... Rulers or kings or servants or slaves. Everyone is happy. Everyone has enough to eat. Everyone is fulfilled and gets, you know, as much as they need. Gets to pursue their passion. Whatever. It's a beautiful shining city on a hill. Blah, blah, blah. The thing is... And through the specific, the specific mechanisms, we are not told why, because it's not necessary for the point of the story. That in order for this city, this society, to flourish, to be utopian, to allow everyone and everything the utmost happy- happiness, one child has to be sequestered under the city in constant agony and suffering and filth and darkness, alone forever, and through some, like, weird devil's bargain. That's how the city 
is as utopian as it is. And eventually, every citizen in the city, when they reach a certain age, are told this horrible secret about their perfect society. And some, a small number, decide to leave the city because they cannot live with the knowledge that all of their happiness, all of their joy, all of their fulfillment is at the expense of this one child's innumerable suffering. And basically, the point of the story is the idea that all societies somehow are built on not caring about someone. Society, a city, a nation, a culture, a group, is in some way predicated upon the idea that we can ignore the needs of some people. And basically scapegoatism like uh-huh. someone can be sacrificed for the happiness of others the greater good like a very utilitarian moral philosophy uh-huh. in Le Guin's story some people can't stomach that some people think that even though it is just one person a child alone in a room somewhere underneath the city they can't square that with their own moral reckoning, and so they decide they cannot participate in this utopian society, and they leave. So, to me, this sure seems like Lindsay Ellis is comparing herself to the scapegoat in the story. Mm-hmm. Like, to the the unnamed child that is just allowed to wallow in misery for its entire existence, mm. so that I don't know, the Twitter sphere can be happy and keep promoting content and engagement and whatever. And I don't know. Um, I don't think that's what happened to her. I think that was maybe the most overblown comparison she makes in her letter. Uh. But aside from that, I do think the nature of scapegoatism is relevant to this conversation about internet mob harassment and cancellation and... How we are just fucking eager, it seems, to ruin people's lives because we have some sort of misplaced anger, rage, resentment, whatever, that I think we ought ought to be better directed at our institutions of power, at our governments, that we are instead directing at each other. Because that's who we know our rage can reach. I've said it, I said it before, I, if I'm mad at, I don't know, Ted Cruz to pick an American politician who's just fucking dweeb. Um, mm-hmm. if I'm mad at something Ted Cruz has done, if I'm mad that Ted Cruz has, you know, made gay marriage illegal in Texas again, or, you know, flown to Mexico while Texans freeze in his state. Uh Um, I can't do anything to personally inconvenience Ted Cruz. I can't make Ted Cruz face repercussions for his egregious actions. I will never be in the same room with him, probably. I can't inconvenience him or hold him accountable in any way that matters. But I can look to people in my social circle, in my you know, small, insular, niche subcultures and redirect my rage at them. 
because my actions have a direct effect on them. And I know that they follow similar standards of morality than I do. Ted Cruz obviously doesn't give a fuck if Texans freeze to death in his state because he would have fixed the power grid if that were the case. (laughs) Like, never mind fly to Mexico. He would have done something years ago. He doesn't give a fuck. And so I I can't hold him accountable through appealing to his morality because he doesn't have any. I can't hold him accountable financially because I don't have access to his bank account. I can't hold him accountable politically because I'm not an American citizen and I can't vote. Hmm. Uh, and even that is a fucking stretch to consider that holding a politician accountable. Yeah. Um, so there's really nothing I can do. I can't hold someone who is directly contributed to institutionalized suffering in my life accountable, but I can turn to the people in my social circle, pick one and say, you're not good enough in this arbitrary metric. So today it's you, you go down. And I don't even think it's that conscious. I obviously don't think people turn to their friends and are like, today you. (laughs) But I think subconsciously that's what happens. I think people redirect this very real, very justified rage at people they know it will affect. Yeah, it's a fucking damn shame is what it is. But for now, Lindsay has stepped away from Twitter and from YouTube. We will see how long that lasts. Yes, I also don't think that will be lasting too long. But no. Like I said, I'm bummed. I liked her video essays. I I didn't really like her tweets all that much, but I really liked her video essays, the things that she put time and thought into. I, even when I didn't agree with it, like, because there are a few videos where I don't agree with her ultimate thesis, I still think it's well-researched and well-presented, and I can disagree with something and still find merit in it, Uh I guess. So I'll be sad to lose her video essays, that's for sure. Yeah, I will say, as a person who's not especially a fan of Lindsay Ellis, I did not have an issue watching her videos because they did seem well put together. And she did seem like she, you know, did put the time in and the effort into research. While I may disagree with her conclusions a lot of the time, (laughs) that didn't mean that she was bad at what she did. So I'm interested to see how long her and I'm just going to call it a hiatus, lasts, because I fully expect her to come back. Uh, Until then, we will be stuck with other YouTube video essayists. Of varying degrees of quality. (laughs) We have a few. So, that feels like the key points of things we've missed. There will be other things that we're going to cover in some subsequent episodes. Mm -hmm. But... This is a nice, quick, little amuse-bouche. Yeah. We're back. Thank you guys for hanging in there. We missed you. Yeah. We we got some requests to cover some stuff, mm-hmm. and we will, I think, be making best efforts to do that, which is kind of nice. Like, it's, it's nice to know that people are interested and that it is landing with someone. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know this is a very, very niche area of interest Uh but i don't know fandom has been a large part of my life since i was young and it is nice to document it and analyze it even if it is 
largely off the cuff and half assed. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It and is. it's fun to do with y'all and uh-huh. it's nice having such positive feedback from y'all. Uh-huh. Like And also the Luna Soul Trolls. Yeah. Who, <laughs> their feedback is not positive, but they also drive our algorithm. So God. draw us more fan art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please give me that engagement. I love it. <laughs> I have a monster sona just for this. Draw. Engage with me, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys, it's been a minute. But do you have a happy? You're here. Yeah. Um. What did we, what's the dumb thing we watched? We went and saw Lawrence of Arabia last night. No, well, that was, okay, yeah, actually. That's, that's not a dumb thing. That's not what I was thinking of, but I got to go see Lawrence of Arabia, one of my favorite of all films, in uh, in a theater with an audience for the first time ever, because obviously the movie is from the 60s, and I was not around to see it in theaters the first time. Upon watching it, after now having both read and watched Dune... It's really obvious to me now just how inspired Dune is by the movie Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, so much so that Lawrence of Arabia premiered in 62 and Dune was published in 65. <laughs> so I think, this is my my own theory now, that Frank Herbert, uh, he was, you know, writing his weird paper for the Department of the Interior about sand and dune ecology uh, that... Eventually became Dune. And he was really fucking jazzed about sand. He fucking <laughs> found sand so fascinating. Really loved sand. This is true. I'm not making this up. No. Uh, he thought that sand ecology was just so fucking goddamn fascinating. And he wanted to write a book about it. And he was like, how am I going to make this a novel? Because if I just write a 500, 600 page nonfiction book about sand, no one will buy it. No one will read it. No one will know how great sand is. <laughs> So I have to put a story in there. It has to be dramatic and sexy. What am I going to do? What am I going to do, Frank? And he saw Lawrence of Arabia. He got his mind ripped open. But he was like, ah, that white man, he goes to where the sand is. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my book will be. That that's that is now my working theory because I knew in the back of my head as I was reading Dune, I was like, "There's a lot of like Lawrence Arabia." <laughs> like, but yeah, wow, watching those two movies back to back like not even two months apart <laughs> really drove it home. Uh, my happy is I finally got Kelty to watch My Hero Academia. Oh yeah, I should have made that my happy. I kind of feel you have not said anything. Her happy was just hugging me and screaming in my ear. No. <laughs> No! I said, you're here! That was my happy, but then I realized that, yeah, my hero academia should probably be my happy. I like it. (laughs) I know, I'm so happy! It makes me happy when my friends like things I like. Of course, all of my favorites are adults, so... Yeah. The kids are fucking annoying. (laughs) You like Todoroki? I do. I'm kidding. I like a lot of the kids. I was about to say, I'm gonna name, like, five whole characters right now. Don't name five characters. Jesus. Lord. My special interest. (laughs) Um, but yeah, this one was a short one. We will be back with more soon, but thanks again, y'all. Um, Mm -hmm. you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Blissfully Show. I post links to our YouTube there. If you're watching us on YouTube, hi, hello. 
please like, comment, subscribe. If we get enough subscribers, we could be the next Lindsay Ellis. No. Oh no. Our own folly has come back. (laughs) I'm mad with power and then we'll collapse. Our folly will be our own undoing. (laughs) It's it's all a metaphor. Can't wait. It's all a metaphor for white hubris. (laughs) (laughs) And until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Yeah, like, in, or, like, the, whoever the guy who shot Reagan, like, was like, I'll do this and Jodie Foster will be impressed by me. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs>